So today we're continuing with our Advent sermon series. Uh, what we are doing this Advent is looking at various passages in uh, the Gospel of Luke where we are seeing uh, God come to his people and sh share the news that a Savior is coming into the world. A few weeks ago we saw the passage of Zechariah. Last week we, saw, we looked at the passage of Mary. And today we're actually looking at the passage where Jesus is born. And we're doing this a, uh, a week and a half early before Christmas. But what we're very do what we're looking at this morning, as we're looking at the shepherds, we're seeing uh, another answer to the question that this entire series is about. Because the series is asking the question, who did Jesus come for? As we look at Zechariah, we see that Jesus came for the religious. As we see, looked at Mary, we see that Jesus is coming for the devoted. As we're looking at the shepherds today, we're going to be seeing that Jesus came for those who are overlooked. And so with that said, let's uh, dive into our passage. We're going to be reading Luke 1, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. But we're going to be focusing on the verses um, 8 through 21 in this passage. But So we're reading this whole uh, section to really help us understand what's going on in the larger Context. So let's uh, give our careful attention to reading God's word. And I'm reading from the ESV. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quin Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, Ju to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she, wrapped, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there is no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this great thing. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, returning and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, friends. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as you have uh, given us your word, 
uh, where this is an amazing passage where we have this news of great joy for all people. Lord, help us to see that this indeed is good news of great joy for us individually ourselves today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The West Wing, in my estimation, is one of the best TV shows of all times. In fact, Jennifer will make fun of me because she has lost track how many times I've seen the entire show from beginning to end, from season one to season eight. But for eight years, this show tells a story for that. For eight years, you get an inside glimpse into the West Wing of the White House where you are following staffers who work for the service and pleasure of President Josiah Bartlett. And in one particular episode, uh, President Bartlett's personal assistant, his name is Charlie, he, he is busy researching cutting knives and carving knives because it is the holiday season. In this particular episode, as he is researching and showcasing and testing these, these knives, he is bringing knife after knife after knife to President uh, Bartlett. And each time, President Bartlett says, that's not the one, Charlie. It's not the one, Charlie. And so at one point, as he brings, like, seriously the sixth knife to President Bartlett, uh, and it's rejected, he, Charlie says with some frustration, Sir, and I say this with all possible respect, but each of these knives, you know, cut meat. What's the point? Why is this so important? And at that point, the president cuts him off, and interrupting him and, sa and says to him, because... It is something you pass on. It's something with a history. It's something that my father can say, my father gave this to me, and now I'm giving it to, to, to you. So Charlie, Charlie says to him with some snark, Sir, if that's true, then why don't you already have a knife? Oh, I do have one. Then why do you need a new one? And at this uh, point, um, at this point, uh, President Bartlett just simply says, I'm, I'm giving mine away, and he leans over, he opens up his desk drawer, and he pulls out a wooden box. It's engraved with the initials PR, and he hands the box to Charlie. And he says, this is something my father gave to me. It's something his father gave to him, and now I'm giving it to you. And Charlie asks about this company. He sees the initial PR, and he's like, I thought I knew them all. What, what is this company? And that's when President Bartlett said, oh, my family had them made for me by a, by a silversmith in Boston by the name of Paul Revere. It's a beautiful and unexpected scene where the leader of the free world gives a prized, beloved family heirloom that is truly priceless to someone you would never expect. He gives it to his personal assistant. And he lovingly gave it to his personal assistant because he would look at his assistant and see, see him as his own son. And so this story is actually very familiar to some of the dynamics I want to pull, point out in our passage from Scripture this morning. Because in this text uh, where God is coming to the shepherds, the point that I want to make out is that the very first people who receive the birth announcement of the Savior of the world are shepherds who are with their flock by night. The very first people to hear about Jesus and to visit his family are individuals who are actually overlooked in their society. And so let's just dive into our passage. And if uh, for purposes of an outline, uh, this, this first part is under the idea of problem of fear. But let's just dive into our passage. And right there, I just, a few, I just said that shepherds were overlooked. And here's why. Because shepherds had a bad reputation. 
They were, by their vocation, by their job, unable to keep this ceremonial law. They were always with dirty animals and cleaning up after them. So they were always, they themselves, religiously unclean. And another reason why they were looked down upon is they were a nuisance. Sheep would wander around in the wilderness, and as they would come uh, into villages and, and travel around, they would actually go into other people's uh, property as well. And so just to help you understand how that would be a nuisance, growing up, I once had a dog. He was an amazing fox, fox terrier. We called him Mac. And he always managed to get loose, always managed to get loose. So, for example, we had a zip line that was secured. It was a metal zip line secured between two trees, and he would run back and forth. And sure enough, he would break out of his collar and get loose. Another time, we would get one of these massive spikes, and we would turn, screw it into the ground. And sure enough, he was able to not only uh, get loose, but he would get loose by pulling that spike out of the ground. It was literally three feet. Another time, we were thinking that would still work, we took take a spike, and we put it through a cinder block. Sure enough, he got the spike and the cinder block going through. And it would go through, Mac would go through my neighbor's yard. And she would spend a fortune on flowers. Because who doesn't want a beautiful yard? And so that caused some understandable annoyance, all directed towards my dog and my family. So it caused a bit of friction. And now just think about that on a daily basis for your entire vocation. That, this is, that is how people viewed shepherds. That's how people thought about them. And God speaks to them. God comes to them and speaks to them. He comes to speak to people who are not politicians or governors. He's not coming to people who are religious or civic leaders. Instead, he comes to these ordinary, everyday people and who are always looked upon Look down upon. And you would not expect these ordinary people to be the first people to receive the birth announcement of Jesus Christ, but they are. And as they hear this, this good news, actually not even before they hear this good news, as they uh, begin to hear this news from God, they are terrified. The passage says very specifically that they are filled with great fear. The, the Greek is incredibly explicit that these people are terrified to their bones. Now, perhaps uh, this scene sounds or looks a little familiar because every time an angel would come in their angelic glory, like with Zechariah or with Mary, whom we recently considered, they are afraid. But why? Why are people afraid when they encounter Angels in their angelic glory. Now, angels were spiritual creatures who would live before the presence of God, and they would go about doing the work of God. They were his emissaries, his messengers to the world. And so, but so very clearly within that, there's something else that, that to just focus on. But angels would reflect the glory of God. They were acting as as intermediaries, where they are communicating something about God to this world. And so these shepherds are really afraid. They are terrified because their sin is being exposed and they cannot hide it. To jump to the very beginning of Scripture, we see Adam and Eve, and they walked with God until they ate of the, the forbidden fruit. And as they would 
after they ate of the forbidden fruit, that one of the consequences of that is that they would hide. And when God came to them and called them out and said, hey, why are you hiding from me? The answer is, is because, and Adam says, because I was naked and I was ashamed. And what we see right there is that the entire relationship with God went from one of love and joy to one of fear. In Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, when he similarly had a, a confrontation, so to speak, where he, when he encountered God's glory, Isaiah responded by saying, Woe is me, for, uh, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And right here I'm just pointing out that the proper response to God in our sin is fear. Have you ever felt afraid of God? Have you ever felt afraid of God in reading scripture? Have you ever felt so exposed by God's word that you felt terrified? In being in worship, have you ever felt convicted that you cannot escape your guilt? When someone has shared the gospel with you, have you found that the gospel is just inescapable before you? Perhaps the answer is yes for many of you, and perhaps the answer is no on the other hand. But there's, a, but there's another dynamic I want to consider just in light of fear. One of the things that we do in our society is we don't like the negative emotions. We do our best to hide from these quote-unquote negative emotions. And so perhaps some of you are here saying you've never been afraid of God. And, that's, and, and many of us uh, run from these feelings of conviction. Some of us run from feel these feelings of being exposed. And that's because we don't allow ourselves to feel these religious affections. We live our lives at such a hurried pace that we quickly move on from one thing to the next. We uh, live in our society with a distracted mindset that we always have four or five things on our mind. We're always thinking about what we just did or the next thing that we're going to do. And this is a huge problem, and it's recognized by cultural commentators regardless of their religion. Andrew Sullivan, he uh, wrote an article in 2016 for the New York Magazine entitled this, I Used to Be a Human Being. The subtitle was, An Endless Bombardment of News and Gossip and Images Has Rendered Us Manic Information Addicts. It Breaks Me and It, will break you. it Might Break You Too. Then another author, Cal Newman, he wrote the book Deep Work, and his readers read this book, and they said, this is awesome, but my phone's the problem. My phone's still distracting me. And so then Cal Newman writes another book and says, it's entitled Digital Minimalism, which says, like, hey, just get rid of your phone. Problem solved. My point is that uh, our secular cultural commentators are pointing out that this hurried, frenzied pace that we are living in is a problem. But it's also a problem for our faith as well. It's a problem for our faith as well. Uh, just two examples from two other writers. Uh, one writer, Justin Whitmill Early, uh, author of the book Common Rule, he tells a story of how he was once a missionary in China with his, his wife, and then he comes here uh, back to the States to pursue law school. 
And here, here's this guy, and he talks about his radical transformation of a missionary kid to someone who is addicted, who's drinking uh, wine and whiskey to fall asleep at night, and who, first thing in the morning, he's checking his phone, and the his, as he tells the story, he's like, I am here in my life full of anxiety, and it's because I'm looking at and checking my work email at 5.30 in the morning and completely forgetting about God. That's his story. And, and another uh, book is uh, Disruptive Witness, Speaking Truth in a Distracted Age. And Alan Noble uh, shares this imagined story. So imagine this story with me. He says that imagine that you are in a coffee shop or a bar and you're sharing the gospel with a friend. You're being kind. You're being respectful. You are acknowledging their doubts, and you are winsomely arguing for the Christian faith. And at the end of your time, you say, hey, can we pray together? Can I follow up with you? And so you give him or her uh, some other things to think about, and you leave thinking, hey, that was a great time. But as you're leaving, uh, you walk out the door, and you're like, hey, let me see what's going on next. You check your phone. You check your messages. You check Facebook. You do whatever. But what's your friend doing as well? The exact same thing. My simple point is that we are living in a society that is so hurried, that is so distracted, that we uh, do not like being unsettled by God's, by the thought of God whatsoever. We don't like being unsettled by God. But what we see right here in this passage is that the very first thing that these shepherds a feel as they are encountering God's glory is fear. So what's the answer? What do the angels themselves say? Fear not. Verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, of great joy. And so what, what I want to point out right here, the answer to all the, the fear, the anxiety that we have that stems from not trusting God, from not having a relationship with God, the fear that comes from our own rebellious hearts where that we are pr that just full of pride, the answer is Christmas. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people so if the first point is the problem of fear, the second point is the answer of Christmas. The angel comes to them and, and says, I'm coming to you with good news. This angel does not come with judgment. This angel does not come with condemnation. But instead, this angel is coming with good news that must be responded to. There's nothing to fear. Instead, there's reason to rejoice. And so that is the entire message to these, to these shepherds. Fear not. Why? Why don't we have to fear? Why is Christmas such good news? Verse 11, for unto you this day is born in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the King. And this will be a sign for you. So at this point, the shepherds hear this good news that a Savior is born. The long-awaited king who's going to make all things right, who will wipe tears from every eye. The, the king who is going to bring in a reign where predators, are going to, like lions, are going to be right next to prey like lambs. The Messiah has come. The, the king has come who's going to take weapons of mass destruction and warfare and turn them into tools of life and cultivation. 
a Savior is born. And so put yourselves in the shepherd's shoes as you hear this. You know that they are looked down upon by their society, that they, that they are overlooked. But the angels are coming to them and saying, right now, a Savior is born for you. For you and for all people. Like, the, the promise is very clear that this is good this, this entire gospel promise is given for these individuals just like you yourself. Because Jesus came, this Savior came to transform our great fear into love. This Savior came to transform our fear into awe and worship because Jesus would pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus would break the power of sin in your life. Jesus would one day remove the presence of sin in your life. Jesus came, in other words, to make you sons and, to, and daughters and to bring you into his family with God. My friend Melanie Penn, she wrote a song about this passage, and some of you have heard her music. And, but Melanie, as she wrote the song of this passage, she has this uh, line. I heard the song, and it is changing me. Our rebel, my rebel heart is all I have, but all I have I will bring. Let us adore him. The only thing that Melanie's getting at that we have to contribute and bring to our salvation is our rebel heart, is our sin. In other words, Jesus did everything else for our, our salvation. That's the good news of joy. That's the good news of comfort. And these angels are singing about and offering to these individuals. And as these angels are bringing this good news of comfort and joy, they're offering you a perfect relationship with God, where you do not have to be afraid of fear or rejection, where you do not have to be afraid of the future or other circumstances, nor do you have to fear because you know his love and you would trust him and know him on the entire basis of his love. And then you're going to be with him forever. This is the incredible good news that we are being offered here. That we have nothing to fear because the Savior has come. And so in all this, the well, here's the real beautiful part of this entire passage. The true beautiful part is that about our salvation is that God is the one who takes the initiative. God is the one who is coming to us to restore our relationship with him. We are not the ones who actually are in the driver's seat responding to him. We're not the ones who are the master and commanders of our destinies. God is. God is the one coming to us. And so as the God of love is coming to us, how should we respond? He is the one who's pursuing us. He's the one who's coming after us. Here's the God of the universe doing the impossible. Where we are seeing a virgin who is with child, bearing, giving birth to her son. God is the one who's doing the impossible, and he's pursuing you. So how should we respond? Well, how did the shepherds respond? Once again, as the... the as the shepherds hear this incredible good news as they witness the, angel, the, the angelic chorus of God breaking forth and hearing, and they're truly hearing like the greatest song that has ever been heard. They're hearing the angel say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. How do they respond to this? That, well, look at verse 15. The angels, when the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, this is literally what they say. Hey, let's go check that out. 
Let's go check that out. That is the proper response to this gospel, where you hear this good news that, hey, Jesus has been born, and the proper response is, hey, let's go check this out. And the shepherds go, and the angel actually tells them what to, to look for, to look for a child who's wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. They, the shepherds go to meet Jesus, and they receive the message from the angels that they need to go, in other words, to Jesus to deal with the, their fear. And that's the very same thing that we need to do. We need to go to Jesus. We need to God for God to deal with our fear. So that, well, friends, when you are convicted of your sin, you need to go to God. When you are actually feeling fearful and terrified and the thought of God fears you, and like we just looked at in this passage, that's not a bad thing as long as you go to God through Jesus Christ. If you go to God through Jesus Christ, when the thought of God terrifies you, you, you will find peace. You'll find comfort. You'll find joy. This is the promise that's given to you. And the, the truth is, friends, sometimes we make going to God much more harder and much more complicated than it really is. What I mean is that we think that in order for us to go to God, then we need to let some time pass. We need to make our lives right. We need to get the things in order. We need to apologize. We need to make amends. Just keep going. I need to read my Bible first, etc. No, just go to God. It's not that complicated. It's, where it's actually quite simple. Why? Because Jesus, because God actually did the impossible. He has already come, and he has and. He died upon the cross for you. He came for you. He died upon the cross for you. And he paid the penalty for your sins. So you can go to God. Because we have here in this passage the God of love coming uh, to us. And so, friends, I challenge you this, this week to actually go to God. Don't make it complicated. Make, just go to God. To find time like today. When I say find time, it's just carve out some time in your day to go to God in prayer where you are actually going to say to yourself, you know, I'm going to put my phone on silent. I'm going to turn it upside down. I'm going to leave it in the other room, and I'm going to go to God in prayer. And as you do that, friends, you will begin to find, as you do this more and more and more, you'll find God showing up in your lives in, in quite unexpected ways because we have a God who does the impossible and who delights in doing the unexpected. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word from 